You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and the interview subject I've got coming up for you is the one and only Ralph Santola. Ralph passed away on June 7, 2018, and this conversation was recorded in June of 2017. The reason for the chat? Well, I'm a big fan. I reached out to Ralph online to gauge his enthusiasm for a conversation with the purposes of releasing it as a podcast episode, and he was up for it. I'm really glad he was, as I believe this is one of the final conversations recorded with the great man. So here it is, a conversation with Ralph Santola. No worries. Go ahead. I'm going to name check the most prominent bands that you've been a part of. Let me know if I've captured them all. So we've got Death, Deerside, Devil's Highway, Gary Hughes, Iced Earth, Millennium, Obituary, Sebastian Bach, and you have one solo album out in the market. Does that sound about right? Um, except the Gary Hughes thing. I just played a solo on one of his albums years ago. I didn't work with him or anything like that. Uh-huh. Rightio. Okay. Well, why don't I start with asking you some questions about your time in death, if that's okay. So That's fine, man. Like many of you, I first heard of you when you were a part of the death lineup that toured individual thought patterns. Um, and uh-huh. in an interview in 2006, you expressed some regret at having left death at the time when you did, because very few people could, of course, step in uh, after the wonderful Andy LaRoque. Can you share with us a story about your time in death and why you left? Yeah, um... Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll do that backwards. I'll tell you why I left first. It was one of the dumbest things I've ever done. Um, during the U.S. tour uh, for individual thought patterns, um, my band in Tampa, Eyewitness, which became Millennium eventually, we got a record deal for Europe and Japan. And I was so naive and inexperienced that I didn't realize I could do both, that I could do my own albums and stuff and uh, play in Chuck's band. So I left. That, that was just a monumental mistake on my part, but that's why I did it. And there's no, I mean, it wasn't like we didn't get along or it wasn't, I mean, it was just my inexperience and naivete um, caused me to do that. But the way I got in the band is that um, they were doing individual thought patterns, and uh, I uh, was in the uh, um, other studio at Morrisound. They were in Studio A, and I was in Studio B mixing Eyewitness, and uh, Scott Burns was producing the album, and Scott and I are really close friends, and I just ended up, you know, going into the studio where they were a lot and just hanging out and stuff. And then I started going out to dinner with them every night at six. And, uh, you know, I just hit it off with all of them. It, it was, uh, it was Andy, Chuck and DiGiorgio. Yeah. And I especially hit it off with DiGiorgio. I mean, me and him are like super tight. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Scott came up to me one day uh, at Morrisound, he said, listen, um, Andy, I don't know if he couldn't do it or he didn't want to or whatever, I, I don't even remember, but said that Andy uh, wasn't going to do the tours, would I be interested in it? You know, and I'd never been on tour before or anything. I mean, I had played in Switzerland 
uh, and in England before, but I'd never gone on tour. And I said, sure, you know, why not? And I had no idea what I was getting in for or, and also that basically Chuck was like handing me a career. I didn't realize that till years later. Yeah, like I gotcha. said, I was incredibly naive and it's just the way I am as a person. Anyway, I'm just like a leaf blowing around in the wind. I was like, going to her? Sure. Why not? Let's do that. You know? And, um, so that's what happened. And, you know, I made a lot of lifelong friends from that experience and it opened my mind about music because I wasn't a death metal fan at all. You know, I wasn't part of yep. the, the extent that I was part of the Tampa death metal scene when all that stuff was starting with obituary and all that stuff. Cause there was a, a, um, a bar, uh, called the sunset that you could get into and drink if you're underage and those bands would play and I'd just go up there and drink beer and stuff and try and pick up girls. But I, but once I had to actually learn Chuck's music, <laughs> yep. I realized, and the same thing happened with Steve from Deicide because he writes that music. I, it opened my mind up and I realized how, at least for Deicide and uh, uh, Death, how musical it actually was. It's just that it's incredibly angular you know, and then especially in Deicide, the drums are always so it just and the and it's all yeah, it's very intense. So I didn't yes. really ever listen to it, but it, it opened my mind a lot. And the first gig that I did with Death was in Hamburg, Germany, on uh, the, uh, it was the Full of Hate tour. It was Death, Carcass, Cannibal Corpse, um, Gore Guts and Tiamat. I think that was all the bands. Great and lineup, yeah. We had just yeah, we'd just gotten there that day and we were exhausted and the bus wasn't there. We were sure gonna share a bus with Carcass and the bus wasn't there and we we're just so tired so we're sleeping downstairs at the Hamburg Market Halle and uh on the floor in the dressing room and it was cold and damp and rainy outside, just miserable. And uh when Carcass went on, um Chuck goes Hey, dude, let's go upstairs and watch Carcass. And I'm thinking, man, I'm not going to like a band called Carcass. <laughs> but, you know, I was new. I was the new guy. I was like, okay. We went up there. I'll never fucking forget it. They were, artwork hadn't come out yet, but they had recorded it and they were playing the songs. And we walk up and we're standing on the stage about five feet from Bill Steer and they were playing. And I was like, oh, man. This is so incredible because, you know, they've got a groove and they're just heavy and the wrists are incredible. And Bill, he's like this larger than life, like charisma, like a totally rock star. Like a dude, I was just like overwhelmed by it. I mean, it, it had a huge impact on me. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really uh, grateful, you know, that I had that opportunity and stuff. And I wish I would have made more of it. But, you know, you everybody has their own road in life and everybody makes yeah, for bad sure. choices sometimes. Yeah. God knows that I've made hundreds of them, but go ahead. <laughs> Haven't we all? Yeah. Okay, well, that, that more or less summarizes your time with uh, with death. The, the, I always felt it was a shame, if you don't mind me saying, that we, the audience didn't get an opportunity to hear you on record. Um, I, I, in particular, think yeah. that your guitar playing would have complemented songs like um, Crystal Mountain. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. Um 
that on the reissue that Relapse did of Individual Thought Patterns a few years back, it came uh, with a bonus live CD, and that's me, Chuck, Steve, and Excellent. Gene. Okay. So if you want to hear me play with that, you can get that album, and, and that's me. I haven't actually heard it. I heard like two songs, and I thought it was Craig LoCicero, who's a totally cool guy. He was the guitarist after me. Right. I love yep. Craig. He's awesome. And, uh, and I was like, wow, dude. I told him on Facebook or something, that's ripping. He goes, he goes, that's you, man. <laughs> I said, oh, I thought it, I said, I thought it was you. I didn't realize I was that good. And he goes, no, you're that good. That <laughs> was great. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, I'll move on to um, Iced Earth, which, of course, saw you teaming up with John Schaefer. What are your memories of recording The Glorious Burden? Well, you know, I... Grew up at Morrisound, and Jim Morris started recording me when I was 12 or 13 years old. So I've known him most of my life, and he's a big mentor to me and like a, 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 an uncle or an older brother. And uh, they were doing the album, and Jim calls me up from Indiana, and he's like, hey, you want to come up here and do solos on the Ice Earth record I'm doing? You can have an orchestra and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> like always, I was like, sure, that sounds fun. <laughs> so I went up there and did the album, and... I was standing outside smoking a cigarette on John's porch during the process. I was like, and I realized he didn't have a guitar player. I was like, hey, man, um, if you want, I'll do the tours for this. So I ended up doing the tours for it. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't, a, I had an amazing time because I met Children of Bodom and Evergrey, and those guys have been my close friends ever since. I love those guys. And, uh, my guitar tech, Jeff Chase, we, and he's like the polar opposite of me. He's a shorter guy. He's from Portland, Oregon, which is like such a hippie bastion. And he's a total progressive leftist. And I'm like a hardcore right-wing Republican Christian. And me and him hit it off so good. And we had so much fun on tour. We would just go fuck off, which is what, me and Jack Owen did in Deicide, actually. We would just fuck off as soon as we got somewhere or woke up or whatever, and just, when we had to be somewhere, we'd be there, and then we'd just go do our own thing all the time, and me and him had an excellent time, and, you know, like, he's like me. I'm one of these people, I don't, I'm not, like, serious heavy metal guy or whatever. I mean, the, you know, the whole music business, show business in general, you know, there's an absurd aspect to it, and I love absurdities. You know, so I will mock it. And it's just man, <laughs> we stopped at a truck stop somewhere in like Tennessee or Virginia or Arkansas or some somewhere in the middle of the night one night, and they they had these uh, like china or ceramic, I guess, uh, little uh, bells that had like you know, like something you'd see on your grandma's shelf. Um, you know, and it had like the name of the town and like a little scene painted yeah. on it from the 1800s or something. I was like, <laughs> I'm having that. So I got it and I said it the, the next day. We're doing sound check. I took it out of my bunk and I went over to Jeff's Guitar World where all my stuff was. And I put it there and I said, dude, this has to go on top of one of my heads. And during the show, I want a cigarette or I need you. I'm going to ring the bell. 
And he's like, most, some people would like be offended by that. He thought it was hilarious. So for the rest of the tour, you know, it'd be in between songs and Tim would be talking to the crowd. I'd be like, ding, ling, ling, and then make the cigarette shine <laughs> or whatever. It was awesome. But I had a great time. And, you know, and like, uh, Richard's a fantastic guy. And, um, me and Steve DiGiorgio were, were on Testament's bus in the afternoon having a beer or something. Yep. And Steve said, because Steve had been in Ice Earth and had quit also before me. And uh, Steve had said to me, you know, Sebastian Bach's looking for a guitar player. Would you be interested? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> he goes, all right, I'll have whoever tell Sebastian to go check out Ice Earth. So when Ice Earth played, we headlined. Um, uh, Sebastian was down in the pit. He watched the whole show, and um, and I kind of upped the ante on the guitars a little bit just because he was there. I was like, "Check this out, dude!" Um, and <laughs> yeah. uh, but he was super into it. By the time when I got home from Germany, like two days later or something, I got off the plane and in the jetway I turned my phone on as I'm walking, you know, off the plane, and I had like four or five messages from him. And I had told him, dude, I'm going back to Florida, you know, day after tomorrow. And, and then we'll talk about it then. <laughs> and I had already told him that. And I had like four or five messages from him already on my phone. Like, dude, are we going to rock or what? <laughs> I'll say this for Sebastian. He's one of the most enthusiastic people I've ever met. He can be a pain in the ass, but that. You know, he really, truly loves rock and roll and heavy metal. It's not an act. And he loves music, and he's so into it. And so when he's like, you know, you see him on stage or whatever, and he's just like, that's not an act. He is fucking all about it. I mean, I turned him on because I kind of lived at his house with him and his wife and his kids for a while at the beginning there up in New Jersey. And, uh, um... And I had told him, you know, I'll join your band under one, because he kept telling me, you're my Randy Rhodes. And I told him, I said, if you believe that, you have to make a great album. I will join your band if I have complete control over the musical part. And that's it. It has to be that way. And so he said, yeah. So I fired his whole band and I got to Giorgio and my old guy, my own guys in there. But um, anyway, I turned him on to soil work. Uh, up awesome. in the house, we're sitting there drinking wine in his living room, and he fucking gets up, and it's like nighttime, and there's candles in this big atrium living room he had and shit. He fucking gets up and cranks it so loud, and listen, it was the Stabbing the Drama album, and he, by the way, Bjorn Street of Soil Work is one of my closest friends and one of the best people in the world, and one of the greatest musicians and most talented people I've ever met. He and I are going to do some kind of pop thing at some point. Oh, anyway, that's, I did, that's, that's really interesting, Ralph. I, I was just talking to Speed the other night and I didn't bring it up. He's I wish I'd known that. Person. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, because he's got a new, yeah. well, not a new band, but he's got a new album out from his other band. Uh, yeah, the Nightflight Orchestra. Orchestra. Spot on. Yeah. The, that is unbelievable. The Nightflight Orchestra is phenomenal. When, they, when he first when they first started screwing around with that, we were talking, um, I think it was on Skype. Yeah. Cause that's when I, we don't talk on the phone. We talk on Skype with the video and shit. I mean, they said, yeah, man, me and Dr. Dave, that, I don't know if you know this or people know this, but, 
um, David, the guitarist in Soil Work, he's not only a great guitarist, he's, he's literally an MD. He's yeah. a doctor, and he's a fucking professional-level chef. The guy's unreal. But uh, <laughs> he's like, yeah, man, me and Dr. Dave on this last tour, we'd be up at night drinking wine, you know, on the bus, driving in the middle of the night, listening to, like, Bob Seger or whoever he said, and, like, we're going to do this thing. We're going to call it the Night Flight Orchestra. And he was telling me all about it, and then I heard demos and stuff, and he always sends me the stuff when they do it before it comes out, and I think it's phenomenal. But anyway, um, and he's just an amazing human being. He, When I lived in Sweden, uh, Bjorn was a really good friend to me and after when it was hard to be my friend. He, he is an amazing person. But gotcha. anyway, fucking Sebastian is so into... It, he cranked it up and listened. To, we listened to the whole album, and I don't like listening to stuff this loud, so loud that we couldn't talk to each other. And he just rocked out for the entire album. I mean, the guy is a rock and roll <laughs> fanatic and a metal fanatic. I mean, if you could see his records collection, he's got the Kiss pinball machine, and he's just like, yeah, he's it's not it. an act. Yeah. Sebastian is as big a fan as any fan in the world. So. Anyway, so that's that's what happened with him, and then um, I'll just go ahead into the DSI thing because I'm assuming that's next, and the two things go together anyway. Uh, go for it. Yep. <laughs> and then um, one summer, he's like, he only wanted to uh, do one show, some festival in Italy, because he was going to do some TV thing or Broadway. I can't remember, and uh, I was like. He's like, yeah, dude, you know, I got, I got to feed my kids. I was like, that's cool, dude. I'll just find another gig for the time we're off. And he flipped out. He didn't want me playing with anybody else. And I was like, look, dude, you know, I have to feed my kid too. I have to eat and pay my bills and all this stuff. And what the way I do that is with music, just like that's the way you do it. Except I don't get to go on Broadway and stuff because I'm not that talented and I don't sing and I'm not that good looking, but I, that's the deal. Sure. And you know, he wasn't happy. And then Jack Owen just called me up because I've been friends with him since that first death tour. Uh, and he's like, Hey dude, um, uh, you want to do, um, how many gigs was it? Uh, 28 gigs with Deicide for X amount of money in cash every night. I was like, Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, just like I was like, that sounds fun. <laughs> so <laughs> when did it? And, you know, me and Jack are really close. I ended up living with him for a while, but I mean, he like had his holidays, you know, at my mom's house and stuff because for years, because his parents are both deceased. Yep. I mean, we're, he really is like family to me. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was in DSI three times. I quit three times. I'm sure everybody wow, can figure okay. out why. Yep. And the last time that I quit in Italy was that's the last time. I mean, that is it. Absolutely never again. But having said that, me and Jack, over the years, we had so many adventures. It was so much fun and did so much just crazy, weird, you know, stuff. And we're, like, really opposite, too, because Jack's not super outgoing. I probably know him as good or better than anybody in the world. Like, he'll open up yep. to me about stuff, but he's, he's a very reserved guy, you know, and I'm obviously the opposite. I'm a people person, and I want to go see everything and taste every food and 
drink every drink and kiss every girl and see every museum and talk about every painting. It's just the way I am. And uh, so like, for instance, a lot of times me and Jack would be walking by in a backstage or something and Glenn would whistle the theme to the odd couple. (laughs) But man, we, we just, we just had a great time. I talked to him yesterday, actually, for quite a while. He lives okay, cool. um, not far from me, but I haven't seen him in a bit. I'm going to get together with him here in the next week or two. But, uh, you know, and then the reason I left the last time is, like, it got to the point where the, the psychic and emotional toll, the amount of poison, was not worth the money and the travel and being with Jack all the time. And, you know, I can't, I'll just say this, cause I'm not, I don't do public drama and stuff like that. Yep. I'll just say this. I always, you can ask any band that has ever opened for any band I've ever been in, any of them. And they, I guarantee you, every member will say nice things about me. I always make friends with the openers, the crews, uh, the bus drivers, the merch people, the locals at the, you know, at the venues and sure. stuff. Yep. And I can't stand to see them abused. And it just got to the point, it wasn't as much me, because I don't give a fuck what, you know, <laughs> whatever. But I can't stand seeing people who are defenseless, you know, like yeah. just being treated really badly and I just said that's it I'm not getting back on that bus so that's what happened with the aside the last time yeah fair enough and without asking you for for a moment to comment on the reason for Jack's exit how's he going with his new venture of course with uh, his old uh, singer from Cannibal Corpse Chris Barnes in Six Feet Under well when that first happened Jack we call him two things the mystery man and the oyster, you know, because an oyster is like a clam. It's just closed up. Yep. I saw it on Blabbermouth, and I called him up. I was like, dude, what the fuck? Why didn't you tell me about this? He goes, well, you saw it on Blabbermouth? I was like, all right, tell me about it. And he had left Deicide uh, for slightly different reasons than I did, but rooted, you know, with the same root uh, cause. Yep. Um, and... Uh, he said, yeah, I've been talking to Barnes for a while and uh, blah, blah, blah. And then so I'm doing it. And, you know, it's also, you know, rehooking up with somebody from my youth and an important part of my life. And he's always gotten along with Chris. Um, so, you know, I'm totally he's he, they start. He told me yesterday they start. I can't remember if he said the end of this month or if they start touring next month. And they're doing Europe in December and stuff. Um, but, yeah, he's happy about it. And I'm really happy that he's got a gig and that he'll be out there playing again. And I think it's good for him and it's good for that band. It gives them an extra measure, I think, of credibility to have Jacko, you know, in the band, him and Chris together. Oh, for sure. It's a great pairing. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, yeah. Chris has had some pretty good guitarists, but it's really nice to see the two of them re, uh, re-team, if you like, and I just hope that it lasts mm-hmm. for, for a recording mm-hmm. rather than just touring off the back of the last album. Yeah. Hey, let me do a quick tangent here. Which sure. city are you in? Brisbane. Brisbane. Which city are you in? Oh, okay, never mind. 
two of my friends are going to Melbourne tomorrow. They're playing some festival. The band is called Nocturnus AD. And I've heard of them, yep. I wanted, uh, yeah, I wanted, uh, they're from Tampa. I wanted to find a friend. I'm, I don't know if I know anybody in Brisbane or not, but to go up to them and say, <laughs> Ralph said to tell you this or that, because it would freak them out, you know what I mean? Um, but <laughs> yeah. anyway, go ahead. They, would, they wouldn't expect some random bloke in Australia to walk up to them with some inside uh, communication. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Yeah. Just on um, dear side. I of course. I uh, the only time I've seen you play live was when you played in Brisbane in two thousand and six, and myself included. Many people commented on your outstanding guitar playing that night. And in fact, that was the night where I realised how wonderful uh, a guitar player you actually were. And um, you actually, I can't remember if it was a week or two weeks that separated the performance, but you were right after Ingve played the same venue a month before, so it was a real treat for guitar aficionados. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, it was a real treat for guitar aficionados. So my question for you is, are you aware of the high regard that fans hold you in, and do you get asked about your solos, particularly on the Stench of Redemption album? Um, well, I mean... I do get asked about those, by the way. Um, the other thing, you know, everybody has their fans and their detractors. Uh, and, you know, the same is true for me. Um, you know, now in the age of the Internet, everyone has a um, platform. So everybody's a critic and everybody's a journalist. And some fucking yep. kid you know, who's 16 years old in Des Moines, Iowa, is in, you know, his bedroom on the computer talking about how, you know, I can't really play guitar and saying things about me personally. It's, you know, he saw some other fuck that was at a concert that maybe I didn't spend long enough, like, standing there talking to the guy, you know, after the show that says I'm a terrible person and all. And then he's repeating, I don't give a shit about things like that. I appreciate it when people like what I do, but my goals are internal and I'm either getting closer to meeting them or I'm not. So what other sure. people yep. think pro or con, you know, I mean, I'm human. Of course I like it when people appreciate what I do. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, people ask about th that album all the time and that was just like a little snapshot in time. Well, that's, um, I mean, I, 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 don't, I haven't played, the same, you can always tell it's me, but I have never played the same way on any album I've ever done, and I've done a lot of albums. Well, the solo in Homage for Satan is frequently cited uh, mm -hmm. as the best example of soloing extreme metal. So, can you tell me about how you went about crafting the solo? Mm. Well, when we're in the studio, um, the way I did all the solos on that album, actually, the only thing that I had in advance was the very first run on the solo from the Century Redemption, the very first fast thing. And I had worked that out. That's when I was living with Jack. I had worked that out uh, at his place because I had listened to, that was not that long after I toured with Children of Bodom when I was in Iced Earth. And Rope and Alexei were big inspirations to me. I mean, they really lit a fire under me when I saw them play guitar every night. They're fantastic. And I listened to yep. Rope's old band, Stone, and uh, there was some solo on some song that just 
he's an incredible guitar player. He's absolutely phenomenal. And he did some kind of fast picking thing. I don't even remember what it is now, but it gave me the idea for that. But the way I did all the other solos was it'd be me and Jim Morris and Steve. And, uh, you know, I'd take the first section and I'd figure out what I wanted to play and we'd do it till I got it. And when I say till I got it, I'll play, I won't play something over and over and over so it's absolutely perfect. I'll play it until I start, it starts to be like a burden for me. Like I'm not, as soon as I yeah. start to lose the feeling for it, I stop and I say, that's it. I will not play it again. That's a really and good, yeah, really good. A lot good, of people um, are not technique. happy, are not happy when I do that. They want you to keep doing it because they would, but I won't. Um, and then we'd go to the next section, next section. Homage was the same way. I will say this, that I, uh, because the, the the way the music was at the beginning of the solo, I thought it needed a theme. And um, I kind of took as the, like Michael Schenker is my favorite guitar player. And um, I kind of took his inspiration for the theme I did on that, the theme that he plays on an MSG song called Looking for Love. Um, and then he also, at the end, he does this ostinato lick, and I kind of used a, the idea of doing one, not his, in uh, that same solo where it goes... I got the idea of doing a repeating thing from that same... Solo at the end of Looking for Love by Michael Schenker's group. Um, but that's how I did all those things, all those solos on that album. Actually, on on all three albums that I did, a couple things I improvised. One of my favorite things I did in Deicide is the solo in that song, um, uh, Horrors in the Hall of Stone or something, I think it's called. I don't know. I never look at the lyrics or whatever. Okay. Yep. Um, and uh, I remember we were in... Studio A and Jim was recording it and I kind of made I made parts of it up and I improvised parts and there's one lick in there where you can hear me it goes and it's kind of it's like a it's like a, a blues rock kind of lick and you can hear me hit if the note starts on the the um the rhythm pickup and I bend this note and you can hear me switch the pickup switch in the middle while that note's sustained, and then when I do the down thing, I mean, it's not fast or anything, but I, the attitude of it is just mean. Like, I just was like, nah, 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 nah. and Steve, we probably spent about 10 minutes arguing about that. He wanted me to take it out because he said it was too bluesy. I was like, no, dude, that's one of my favorite things I ever played. Okay, you know, I'm I, glad to I know that. your input, it's your music, but that is staying. So. Yeah, because that's off the album Till Death Do Us Part. That's track. I'm just looking at my iPhone now. That's track number nine, Horror in the Halls of Stone. Fantastic. Good point. Good point to know there. I've got I've got all three of the albums. Yeah, I've got all three of the albums that you performed with Deerside on vinyl, and I spin them frequently. Um, great stuff, mate. I mean, you... It, it wouldn't have... The Hoffman brothers were looked at as the Kerry King and Jeff Hanneman of death metal. And um, I... I I wouldn't say that I was surprised when I heard that you stepped in, but I thought, gosh, I wonder what this is going to sound like. This is going to be very interesting. Um, but your playing took the band in a completely different direction, and I'm not going to call it controversy, but it is my view that 
if it wasn't for you stepping in, I don't know whether DSI would have certainly the success in the career that they've had since you've come into the band. So, well, food for thought. Cold <laughs> check. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I do talk to quite a lot of people, um, and as I mentioned, I interview people, and I'm, and I'm always very mindful of the contribution that, that people do make, but sometimes someone's playing is so outstanding as yours was, uh, is, I should say, on the stench of redemption um, that you can't help but stop and take notice. And um, I mean, I'd love well, to... Well, I got I to gotta say something about that, though. I mean, at the same time, Steve gave me the platform to be able to play that kind of stuff because his music made me think about... It expanded my mind when I was working out those solos because I was like, how do I be melodic? I didn't even know I could play that fast, to be honest with you, seriously. You yeah. I was like, how do I be super melodic but ripping over these like angular chord progressions? So it made me learn about music. And luckily, for about a year prior to that, I had been listening to, I had started, I'm still into it, listening to romantic era music like Franz Liszt and stuff like that, which Steve loves that stuff too. Yes. And... So I had some kind of like seed in my head already for, you know, what, how I could do that. But it, it was definitely, it made me a better musician to play his music and adapt my ideas to it. Yeah, fantastic. Would you say that yourself and Steve were buddies or your mates? Oh, I like Steve a lot. He's a total character. You know, he's from New Jersey. He's lived in Florida forever, but he's still got that New Jersey accent. <laughs> Steve's a great guy. He's an incredible musician. He's so talented. He's funny as hell. He's super mellow and calm all the time. I mean, I love Steve-O. He's awesome. All right, fantastic. And um, there is another very prominent band that you've been a part of, and that's Obituary. Um, it always looked yes. like, I, I didn't man, get to see you live, unfortunately, in Obituary, but it always looked like as though you were having a great time on stage. Oh, you missed it then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, yeah. I bought the albums Dude, on that's vinyl. The but... most... oh, that's cool. That's the most fun I've ever had in music with being in that band and the happiest I've ever been. Those guys are awesome. And like I said, Steve's from New Jersey, um, Jack's from Buffalo, you know, and they're great guys, and like I said, I'm super close to Jack, but the obituary dudes are from here, and they're just like me, just kind of rednecky, you know, they're they're Central Florida dudes. I mean, we... Yeah, gotcha. I just, you know what I mean? I, I don't know, I just, it, I just love those guys. They're awesome. And yeah. I had a, such a great time. Yeah, fantastic. And your um, your solos again on the album Executioner's Return, that's also one of my favourite um, death metal albums or metal records, full stop, actually, alongside of The Stench of Redemption. Um, what are your thoughts on your contribution to Obituary's legacy, and do you ever see a time again where you'll be able to perform with them? Um, obviously, like BSI, when I... Um during the band, it, it added a different element to what had been there before. Um, some people liked it, some people didn't, although the stuff I played in most of the obituary songs is a lot more raw than what I did in DSI. Um, uh, as far as in the future, the only way that that would be possible 
like, because the guy that plays in Obituary now, Kenny, he's a really good friend of mine. He used to be my tech, and he's a fantastic person. Right, gotcha, yeah. I would love to play with them again. I would love to play with them again. It would be incredible. That would be one of the best things that could happen to me in my life, even if I had a million dollars in the bank. But I wouldn't do it if it cost Kenny something. You know what I mean? I wouldn't yeah, do sure. it at his expense. Yep. Okay. Hey, just a tangent. I meant to ask you this before when you were talking about Iced Earth, but um, the then future Megadeth bass player also performed with you in Iced Earth, and that's James McDonough, and he's pretty much all but disappeared from the scene since 2006. Do you know what he's up to? Well, I talk to Jimmy, you know, semi-frequently on social media and stuff. We almost never talk about music. We always just talk about, like, normal bro stuff, like, what's up, man? Oh, nothing, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I can ask him for you if you want. Oh, it'd be good to... This would be funny. Yeah, it'd be good to have a chat to him, actually. Let me see if he's online. Let me see if he's online (laughs) right now, and I'll ask him, I'll tell him, hey, I'm doing a podcast. What are you up to musically? Hold on, that'll be funny if he's there. Cool. He's a great dude. Let me see. James... (laughs) <laughs> there he is. Hey, Jimmy, are you online? It shows he's online. I don't know how long it'll take before he sees that. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. In a second. Um, yeah, he's a cool dude, man. And, and you know, he he was part of the Jeff and Ralph team uh, in I Start 2. Speaking of teams, back to Sebastian Bach. <laughs> Me and Steve yeah. Giorgio were the A. We were we called ourselves the A team, and we still do that now. But like we had a a van, for instance, we did this UK tour in a van, and me and Steve took up this one row in the back, and we had this big cooler, and we you know because we'd have to get up at like five in the morning to drive to the next town and go to see the hotel, so we'd be five thirty in the morning back there making screwdrivers in our little bar, and we. <laughs> We were like, okay, this row is for the A-team. Nobody else is allowed, nobody, to sit here. This is A-team only, and nobody, nobody would like even try to sit there. It was, it was awesome. And we just would annoy certain members of that organization like crazy, just cranking music and singing loud and just being jackasses all the time. All right, he hasn't seen that message yet, so I'll tell him this. Hey man, I'm doing a podcast in Australia right now. The dude's recording it, so you can answer whenever you want. But he wants to know what you're up to right now, comma, and if uh, he could interview you at some point. So get back with me. Yeah, thanks, mate. That's awesome. Cheers. No problem. That's great. And yeah. then he'll hear this, and and he'll hear me talking to him. You know what I mean? After he's already <laughs> yep. seen the message, it'll be amusing. Okay. Got to keep it fun, dude. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, I'm really picking that up, actually. You, you do have a, a wicked sense of humor. You enjoy having fun. You must be a bloody good bloke to have on tour. It depends on what personality type you are. Oh, and Jimmy just saw my my message. You know, if you're a hyper-serious person... And, you know, you're negative about everything and it's a burden to you to have to fly all the way to Rome, (laughs) you know, then you're not going to like me because I 
I'm really enthusiastic and I love people. And I'm like, you know, I'm like a little kid. I'm always like, hey, we're here. Let's go do this. What's going on? Isn't thing, aren't things great? You know, and I wake up in the morning on tour and I'm just like, yeah, because I just love being around the guys and the whole, you know, and I'll go see what the opening band's up to. What did you guys do last night? Blah, 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 blah. I'm just like that. Some people love it and some people don't. The opening bands love it because they get treated so crappy most of the time you know, by the bands that they're supporting. Well, I wouldn't say most of the time because actually most musicians and bands I know are pretty cool guys, but they do, they do get uh, put on, you know, and it's hard for them a lot of times. So I go out yeah. of my way and that's their dicks uh, to really like, you know, and they're always like surprised when they see what my personality is like. Like these guys aren't, um, like one of these young opening bands, but an obituary toured with Grave uh, in Europe. We picked them up at the airport in, it was Frankfurt, I think, first day. Uh, we had spent the night, we got there the day before, and we picked them up at the airport in the tour bus. And Ola told me that when they first got the itinerary for the tour, he was going down and he was looking through it, and he was seeing who was on the tour, and he's like, oh, Ralph Santal is playing with obituary. He's going to be the dude that sits in the corner of the dressing room and plays guitar all day and doesn't talk to anybody. <laughs> and he said, and we stepped on the bus, and you came walking down the stairs of the bus while we're getting on with this tiger hat on with these long tiger tails going down. You're like, hey, dudes, let's have a drink. <laughs> he goes, we're like, wow, that's Ralph Santal. So, yeah, and people, you know, I'm the kind of person that, like I love other people and stuff, but I understand that my personality rubs some people the wrong way. And that's just, you know, that's human nature. I mean, not everybody's going to, going to like you. And I understand that. Yeah. Fair call. And it tends to be exacerbated when you're in a small tour bus or in an airplane or in a foreign country, doesn't it? You know, um, differences in personality. Uh, yeah. Like Cause you, you, yeah, you spend so much time together that, you know, little things start to rub you the wrong way. And other people, it's the same with me. I'm like, God, man, I love that guy, but for fuck's sake, dude, <laughs> stop doing that one thing and it drives <laughs> you crazy. And, you know, it's just, it, it, it is what it is. I'm just, I'm grateful that I've had the opportunity to do all those things. And hopefully soon I'm going to have the opportunity to do them all again. Although I've, you know, I recently had a bad health scare and I've way turned down um, the drinking and smoking stuff. I mean, that's just, but still, I mean, I can't wait to go back to Japan and Australia and Israel. Actually, those are my three favorite places I've ever been, Japan, Fantastic. Australia, and Israel. Awesome. But, you know, everywhere and just do this stuff again. It, you know, to me, the best part about being a musician and touring and stuff like that is all the people you meet. That That's better. Yep. I mean, you know, seeing seeing Tokyo or going to Jerusalem, that's pretty fucking awesome. And getting paid to do it because you play guitar, that's awesome. But what's even and you know, playing it like whacking and stuff, that's awesome. There's no doubt. But what's even better to me is just the people you meet. Because, you know, musicians are all characters, and so are road crew guys. And I am a character. I'm an eccentric. So I love other eccentrics. And it's just, it's you know, it gives you... A lot of people don't talk about that. They they think, oh, or will say, you're so lucky to do this and lucky to do that. And I am, but I also work for it. But they don't 
realize that that other layer, the the human element, like just meeting all these people, it's that's the best part. It's fantastic. Now you mentioned something in there. Oh, Jimmy, you're on. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you mentioned something in there about your health scare. No. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I've been smoking. I'm sitting here smoking my electronic cigarette now my whole life. And for about three weeks before, okay, about five or six weeks ago, Kyle and I went to Connecticut to work on vocals for the Devil's Highway album uh, with Max Norman, who produced Dire of a Madman, Bark at the Moon, Blizzard of Oz, Countdown to Extinction, all kinds of albums. He's an absolute genius and a cool guy. And uh, I couldn't believe that he wanted to work with me. <laughs> That's just, like amazing. But uh, for about three weeks before that, was really stressing out trying to get all these guitar parts recorded and stuff in time and and then you know get them export them out of my computer to get to him and that's very time consuming all this stuff and i was just chain smoking i mean constantly and then um you know like i said i was putting my place up for sale and when i left to go to the airport i was gonna set off bug bombs you know because i want the place to be absolutely pristine when people look at it so I left on a Friday afternoon to go to the airport to go up there. Um, on Thursday, I took that ortho home defense bug stuff. I don't know if you have that in, in uh, Australia, but it, it's it's pretty close to like exterminator strength stuff. Right. I did every nook and cranny in my in my house, and I ended up, you know, and it was unavoidable. I guess I should have worn a mask or something, but hailing a lot of it and it made me sick. I vomited, and then Friday. I did it again before I left, and that just gave me a bad headache. And uh, then I set off the bug bombs, got outside, got in the car, and got my ride to the airport. So then we get up there on Friday night and whatever, and Saturday, going to do vocals during the day. And so I said to Max and to Kyle, I was like, look, I'm only going to say something if I have something to say. I don't need to sit here and micromanage this. We've worked on the songs, and, um, you know, Kyle's super experienced, and he's a great singer, and he doesn't need me there unless, like I said, I have something to say. And, you know, Max is who he is. So I just let them have at it, and I went outside, and... uh it's a really nice, like, it's a residential studio. It's called Carriage House. And there's plants and stuff everywhere. And I have allergies. And there was pollen, like a son of a bitch. It was giving me headaches. And I sat out there smoking all day and popping in every, like, hour or 30 minutes or whatever and just smoking, smoking, and sneezing and coughing from the pollen. So I went in at, like, 7 o'clock at night. They were done. And we were going to start guitars when Max was done comping Kyle's vocals. And I sat down in a chair at the console next to Max, and from one second to the next, this happened. All of a sudden, just out of the blue, I couldn't breathe. I was like, <laughs> like tiny little breaths, and it scared the shit out of me. And I went in the, the kitchen, and I opened up the freezer and was trying to breathe in cold air, you know, and it's getting yeah. worse and worse. And Max goes, are you okay? You need to go to the hospital. I said, let me try and lay down. There's a couch, like, right in front of the console, like a, like a sunken part of the room. I laid down and made it worse, even harder uh, to breathe. And I was getting scared, but I was trying not to show it at first. And I yeah. sat down and then I was like, I got to go to the hospital right now. And got there. I had acute respiratory failure. Um, uh, I 
it's a miracle that I didn't have brain damage. I, I um, had pneumonia, like my lungs had filled up with fluid. Then I had acute respiratory failure and they treated me also for hypoxia, which is when your cells don't get enough oxygen. That's why I'm surprised I didn't get brain damage because the, the main nurse and the doctor told me after all of this, I was in a medically induced coma for four days and I was in intensive care for seven or eight days. And I hallucinated like when I came out of it, Right. I remembered all this stuff that did that didn't actually happen, and I can still remember it like it happened yesterday. But it, none of it happened. It's weird, yeah. um, and it caused some problems between me and a couple other people because I was sure some stuff went down that actually didn't. Um, but uh, you know, and I, it got worse and worse and worse. And I'm in the emergency room, and they're getting ready to shove that tube down my throat, and my vision is going out. It's like getting black and closing around me. And I saw the lady, I could see her over me with the tube. And then that's yep. the last thing I remember. And uh, they put you in a coma when they do that so that you don't pull the tube out because it's so uncomfortable. And it fucked my throat up like for like almost a month after like it, you know, like had to heal. It was, it was that. But uh, I woke up and I thought that I asked what day it was or whatever. And they told me and I thought, oh, okay, um, that was like a day, day and a half ago, but it was really four and a half days ago. I was just out of my mind. Um, so then I came back to Florida, my, my mother and now my ex fiance <laughs> flew up there. Yep. And, um, I flew back to Florida with my mother. I mean, I was so weak. I couldn't even put my little bag in the overhead compartment. Another passenger had to do it for me. So I went to her place um, my parents for a month, um, to recuperate and I started eating like crazy. Um, cause I lost a lot of weight in that week. I mean, I kind of wasted away and, um, uh, and then, you know, obviously because of that, I <laughs> stopped smoking cigarettes. I started smoking an e-cigarette and, uh, I'm going to slowly get off of that too. And, um, the, the, uh, doctor or not the doctor one of the nurses when they were talking to me when I was getting discharged told me I could drink a little bit of red wine at night because it's good for you and it uh or your heart or whatever and my heart freaked out too when that happened yeah. I didn't have a heart attack but they had that thing stuck in my neck that tube it's called a a pick or something so they can get chemicals right into your Rush. bloodstream if you okay. have a heart attack and my heart did freak out and she told me that so anyway I just, after I had been home a couple of days, I started drinking some red wine and stuff. And now that's all I do. I drink a little red wine at night, not smoking, walking like three miles a day and working out and stuff. And I feel and look better than I have in years. It's amazing. So in a way it was a blessing. Yes. Okay. Gosh, although, okay. Almost yeah. dying, although almost dying <laughs> right in front of one of my heroes when I first am working with him for the first time, I wouldn't recommend that. So. <laughs> no, I was trying to find the silver lining to the uh, to the cloud there, but it sounds like you've done it, mate. So, it sounds like it's in line with your uh -huh. your, your sense of humor too to find a. Uh, the silver lining to the cloud there but no mate that's great i will mate don't leave us anytime soon that's for sure mate uh, i sincerely hope that there yeah. are a ton more albums that your guitar playing appears on so um so just on that um i've got uh shaolin monks in the temple of metal um and i was reading online that you got a new well not a new you've been working on a uh another solo album i think it's called requiem of hope yeah 
Yeah, tell it's us not going to be called that. But I've got enough material for another album. But when I say I've got enough material, yeah, you have to understand the way I work. Meaning, I know what the songs are going to be. So I'll program the drums first, just so that I have something to play to. I'll use probably Jason Bittner from Shadows Fall and Overkill and stuff on drums. Uh, but, um, Jetsam and Flotsam and Jetsam as well. He's just and, them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, well, he just left them and joined Overkill. Um, That's right. Yes, but, I did uh, too, yeah. Come on, man. You've got to keep up with all the metal gossip. <laughs> but um, anyway, I'll, and I'll put pads and some rhythm guitars and stuff so I have an outline. And then I will sit there... Because I keep writing it until it's the, the actual recording is finished. I'm doing that on the Devil's Highway stuff. So I make like an outline, like a canvas, and then I sit there and fill it in, like color it in as I go along. Like I know it's going to be these chords and this kind of thing. And then I'll just sit there and fuck around with, you know, 10 seconds of it for two days until I get exactly what I want. Yep. And that keeps it creative till the end. And also I can't, it's hard for me to do it any other way because if I sit there and work everything out in advance and practice it and then go to record it, it's hard for me to do it with any feeling because it's just like I'm over it. My, my brain and other musical ideas and stuff, you know what I mean? But yeah, I'm definitely going to do a new thing. And Paranelson of Scar Symmetry hopefully will uh, help me produce it and mix it. I gotta, I'll gotta. i probably have to do a crowdfunding thing so that I can afford to do yeah, the album. Fantastic. I'll yeah, go over go to ahead. Sweden to Paris Studio but Pear suggested, and this is a pretty smart idea, I think, that instead of one long album, I do three or four EPs. He's like, that way, your guitar playing and music and stuff will be on people's minds. It'll be out there for a year and a half instead of, you know, three weeks or a month. I was like, that's not a bad idea, bro. So tell us about Devil's Highway. Um, well, we're, we still have a lot of the vocals to do, and Steve's bass except for solos and stuff, most of the guitars are done and I'm working on layers right now. We'll do uh, most of the vocals and solos and the mix with Max Norman. Um, you know, and I, there's some financial considerations and stuff we've got to work on right now, but I have to say that this is, in my opinion, is the best thing that I've ever been involved with. And I've put out a lot of music of my own too. And, you know, my lifelong friends and stuff that have known everything I've ever done to a man or a woman, they all agree. They're like, wow, this is what we've been waiting on since, you know, we were teenagers. So, and it's, it's what I, my goal was and is, is to make an album that's as good as the albums that I grew up on. That's my sole concern. I want to make my Diary of a Madman, my Back in Black, my Led Zeppelin four, whatever, you know, Fantastic. and these guys are yeah. all phenomenal musicians and Kyle's a fantastic writer and singer, so we'll we'll see how it goes. Just stay tuned. I mean, it's it is coming. It is getting. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel. All right, wonderful. Now we are drawing to the close of our discussion, and there are three questions that I do like to ask all of my interview subjects. So I'd love for you to humor me here and play along. And by the way, Ralph, of course, your answers mm -hmm. can be as not safe for work as you choose because we are an R-rated program. So here goes. <laughs> <laughs> choose. All right three words to describe is this yourself. like the lightning round or something something like that yeah we'll call, i might like even the call light. it the lightning okay, round okay go ahead <laughs> choose right, go ahead. choose three words to describe yourself irreverent sarcastic 
Mm. <laughs> um. Inquisitive. Cool. If you could go back to when you were 18 and give yourself some advice, what do you think you'd say? There's so many things that I would say. It's hard to... Um, it's hard to, that would be a long conversation. Um, you know, and everybody, my mother today actually was just saying how she wishes she would have done this. She wishes she would have done that. And I told her, you know, it's always now. So I don't really, everybody wishes they could go back. And if I would have done this and this, but I would, it's really, you know, Richard Bach, the guy that wrote Jonathan Livingston Seagull, he, yep. in one of his books, he talks about trying, you know, he, he was kind of out there, kind of a little bit fruity, but brilliant guy, a great writer, um, to like, through some kind of quantum mechanism to send messages back in time to his younger self. I would, I think if I could only say one thing, I would tell my 18 year old self, because it's grown bigger the older I get. I mean, I've always loved people, but to, like, uh, appreciate other people and, you know, enjoy the people around me as much as possible and to realize that that is the real treasure in life. All right, great answer to that question, by the way. Yeah, it is a tough one. What five guests, living or dead, would you invite to dinner? Randy Rhodes, oh, that's really hard, Leonardo da Vinci, Thomas Jefferson, there's three, um, James the brother of Jesus, that's four, and either Bach or Beethoven probably yep very interesting list um, on that note really appreciate you taking the time out of your day mate it has been a pleasure to talk to you for the second time uh, you are a legend love listening to your guitar playing please get down here to Australia sometime soon any one of the projects that you've been a part of in the past or of course your new project Devil's Highway mate so can't wait to hear some of that All right, Andrew, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, man. Okay, brother. No worries. Thanks very much, eh? Cheers. Catch ya. You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that interview subject you just heard from was the one and only Ralph Santola. Thank you so much for listening.